God in heaven, as we turn now to your word, our prayer really is very simple. Open our eyes that we would see our sin, that we would see our great need, our great emptiness, and our great Savior. Lord Jesus, we would see you and be saved. Holy Spirit, work through the reading and the preaching of your word to bring your sons and daughters to glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We have arrived at the last commandment in our series on the gospel and law. I don't know if that's good news to you, but if it is, there's really one more sermon in the series. Jake's going to do it next week, so you're not out of the woods yet. But we will look at the tenth commandment today. Exodus 20. And we'll be considering verse 17, but as we have every other week, we're going to begin reading at verse 2, or really verse 1 of that, of that chapter. And so, hear the word of the Lord. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Praise God for his word. That may seem kind of like an odd way to finish up uh, this list of Ten Commandments. Why in the world does God say that one last? Uh, and what in the world does my neighbor's donkey have to do with being good, being a good person? Well, here's what we're going to see, right? When, um, when I was a Boy Scout, every winter we would go to Cumberland Caverns, which is up in Tennessee, and we would spend the night in the cave. Uh, that's where we did our whole camp out. But part of that trip was uh, something that Cumberland Caverns calls their wild tour. All right? And what the wild tour was is you would go away from the, the public area of the cave that's well lit. You get a nice tour guide and everybody's there. That's where you sleep, eat, go to the bathroom, all that good stuff. That's, that's the main part of going to Cumberland Caverns. But if you were so daring, you could go on the wild tour, which was where you went into like the deep, hidden recesses of the cave where there were no lights except for the flashlight that you carried. And you did a tour through all of these little narrow, dark, scary places, you know, walking on ladders over deep pits, stuff like that, um, right? But we went beyond the lights and the crowds of the main cave to the places of the cave that never saw any light and barely saw any people. And that's what this last commandment does. 
right? It goes beyond what we can see or what everybody else sees about us to the deep recesses and hidden caverns of our hearts and exposes our sin where it starts, right? Deep down in our heart. And so what we're going to see today is that our sins run deep. Our sin runs deep. But God's grace runs deeper still. Right? What the law does is it exposes our greatest need because it reveals to us just how awful we are. And in exposing that to us and revealing that to us, it leaves us without hope except in God himself. And so that's what the law is intended to do and especially this last commandment. So... Um, this may hurt a little bit, right? Here's, here we go. We're going to define coveting, and so we're going to figure out that what coveting is, and we're going to talk about uh, how coveting applies, right? And so coveting is desire gone wrong. Coveting is an inescapable sin. And then we're going to see that coveting can only be replaced by true love. And what in the world that means, all right? So, coveting is desire gone wrong. This word, coveting, it's not probably a word you use very often in your day-to-day exchanges, right? Uh, But coveting does not refer to an external action. It's not something we do. It's a desire we have. It's a longing. And that can be for something good or for something bad. The sin part comes in is when we, we take that longing maybe for something good, like a better life or a better job, and we focus it on something we can't have, like the job of our neighbor, or the life of our neighbor, or the home of our neighbor. So coveting is wanting something that doesn't belong to you. Okay? So another word for that would be envy. Right? The state that this puts us in is discontentment. So, right, the opposite of covetousness is contentment being satisfied with what we have, being satisfied with what God's given us. And it's right there that we begin to see how elusive this is, right? Every single one of us knows that contentment is not attainable. Somebody's always got the better life, the better car, the better house, the better body, the better wife, the better husband. We covet all the time, right? That's what, I mean, think, think, about, think about the advertising industry. It is built on this innate desire in us. Trillions of dollars are made figuring out what we want or telling us what we want and then selling it to us. And the most marketed group of all, who do you think it is? Kids and teenagers, Right? Disposable income, not yet, uh, not, sorry teenagers, not yet mature enough to know what you really want out of life. I know that's a shock to you, but it's true, okay? There are people who make lots and lots of money figuring out, like getting inside your head, studying your behaviors, knowing what you want, and then selling it to you, right? Every billboard you see, every commercial you hear or watch every right i was on i was on the internet this morning and on the page i was looking at it was telling me about services i could have in montgomery 
Okay, like it knew where I was and that I was close enough to Montgomery to sell something in Montgomery to me. Okay, like this is what people do for a living. And I don't make that point to say that that's evil or bad because we have a responsibility in how we respond to those offers, right? My point is this, that we by nature are not content, that we, that we all have within us this deep longing to be satisfied, and we keep looking and looking and looking, right? Advertising exploits what the Tenth Commandment exposes. We are not content, so we covet, right? But there's even a, a deeper layer to that, and Paul puts it very bluntly in Colossians 3.5. He says, covetousness is idolatry. When we worship, excuse me, when we covet, what we're actually doing is worshiping. So notice that he actually combines the first and the tenth commandment, right? One, one friend of mine says that they're really saying the same thing from two different angles. When we covet something, it's because we're worshiping a false god. It's because we're worshiping something other than God himself. That's, what, that's what's happening in our hearts when we covet. All right, we're, we're pinning all of our happiness, all of our hopes, all of our satisfaction on this thing or this person or this way of life. And when we don't get it, we're unhappy. And that usually leads to other commandments, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, one pastor, this is very helpful, puts it this way. An idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then my life will have meaning. Then I'll know I have value then I'll feel significant and secure. That's the heart of idolatry. That's the heart of coveting. That's the definition of coveting. And so you see why, why it's desire gone wrong. Taking maybe even a desire for something good and have misplaced it or put it on steroids. And so desire, the desire has gone wrong, but then you're also seeing why it's inescapable. We can't get away from coveting. None of us can walk away from this one. So up to this point, if you've managed to tiptoe through any of the other nine commandments and think, okay, I'm in pretty good shape, right? I'm not that bad a guy. Then the tenth commandment drops the hammer, right? If you thought for some reason that, hey, my behavior conforms pretty well to God's law, it's the tenth commandment that reminds you no, it doesn't. It's not just your behavior that has to conform. It has to be your heart as well. And the Tenth Commandment says, my heart never conforms. Right? This is the, the sin that tripped up the Apostle Paul. Right? He goes in Romans 7. If so if you want to turn there, in Romans 7, Paul is talking about his struggle with the law and his struggle with his sin. And he makes the point that he thought he was doing okay. He thought he was doing pretty well till he got to this commandment. And then he really understood what the law was saying. Romans 7, 7. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. 
Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. All right, so let's stop there for a second. You know, you know how it's, what it's like when somebody says, hey, don't touch that. What's your first desire? You mean touch this, right? And don't pretend that it's just the kids that do that, right? We all do that. And so what Paul's saying is when, 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 the, when the commandment really hit home, he says that his sin actually seized on the commandment and produced in him all kinds of covetousness. He didn't just see a few areas. He saw it multiplying. Right? The law really brought him to his knees because it showed him how dark his heart was and how much, how much he wanted to sin. Okay? Sin produced in me all kinds of covetousness. And the reason this one brings us to our knees is because it's a sin of, of the heart. Right? And that means that before you break any other commandment, you break the tenth commandment. Right? Before you hate your neighbor, before you break the sixth commandment and commit murder in that way, you've actually coveted probably their life or their security. You wanted to be them. Or before you bore false witness, before you slandered your neighbor and told a lie and broke the ninth commandment, you broke the tenth by being insecure, by feeling that the only way to elevate your position was to bring somebody else's down. You coveted what they had, and so you took it from them. Right? Stealing is pretty obvious. Before you take something from someone, you take it because you want it. You break the Eighth Commandment because you've already broken the Tenth. And then as Paul pointed out, right, the reason we worship other gods is because we covet, right? We are discontent. We covet God's glory and we want it for ourselves, or we're discontent with what God has provided us, and so we covet and we break the commandments. Not only that, but coveting is a secret sin, meaning that this is the one commandment that when you break it, no one else knows. When you dishonor your parents, they know. When you murder, someone's probably going to know. But when you covet, no one knows but you and God. And so, this is the stain we can't get out. Coveting goes so deep and is so inescapable right, that we're, we're left without excuse. We often like to say, especially when a friend or, uh, has, has fallen or failed in a major way, what we like to say is, well, but he's, he's really a good guy at heart. He just, he just made a big mistake. But what the law says is there are no good guys at heart. In fact, we make big mistakes. We fail on the outside because we've already failed on the inside. That's, that's where the law leads us. 
So it's not just what's on the outside that condemns you. You're not being just judged on what you do. You're being judged on what you feel. Now that's hard. Because most of us probably feel like, I can't control the way I feel. I can't control how I respond. Right? So what do we do? If we're in such a position, what do we do? If I'm condemned not just on what I do externally, but what I do internally, then how do I have any hope? Now, there is the option of uh, of stoicism, right? A stoic is somebody who, who presses their desires down. Right? We'd call it maybe extreme self-control where you just say, you know what? I'm going to control my, my passions. I'm going to control my desires. I'm keeping them down. I'm not going to address it, and we're just going to power through. Keep your head down and power through, and you'll be just fine. So try that for me. Stop coveting. Ladies, stop envying the woman you think has it all together, whose kids behave and who's always smiling. Gentlemen, stop envying the guy who's better at his job than you are. Whose kids actually listen to his demands. Girls, stop longing for the better body. Guys, stop longing to be stronger or better. Stop wishing you were the one who had all the skills or the girls. How'd that, how'd that go? Were you able to stoicize your way out of coveting? No, we can't, we can't make ourselves be content. Right, and it doesn't even necessarily work to say, okay, well, then I'm just going to be thankful. All right? Uh, so instead of comparing to other people, now I'm just going to look at what I have, and I'm just going to look at them and say, all right, I'll just be thankful with what I've got. Again, we're, we're seeking to make ourselves content. And I, I just don't think it'll work. You can try. But that heart of, of jealousy, that heart of envy, that covetous heart sneaks out. Because it's not long. I mean, unless you want to stay in your house, it's not long before you go out of your door and you see something your neighbor has that you wish you had. And you're probably mad at God for not giving you. So what do we do? What did Paul do? Flip over in Romans 7 to verse 21. He says, So I find it to be a law, a principle, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. When I want to do right, evil's right there with me. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I want to do right. But I see in my members, in my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive. I want to do right. My flesh keeps wanting to do wrong. And so I have this constant war. Waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And that question has an answer. 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the law brings even the great Apostle Paul to the end of himself. He realized he can't do it. So he says, I'm a wretch. I'm worthless. Who's going who's gonna to deliver me? Jesus is going to deliver me. Right? So that's how right, covetousness can only be replaced. Coveting can only be replaced by true love. Right? Only when we see that the love of Jesus is so much sweeter and better and deeper than all of the other loves that we want. Only then will coveting begin to die. Only then are we transformed, right? If you go back to Exodus 20. Well, let me read this from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and and need. What is it? I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Right? The secret is not pushing it away or ignoring it. The secret is running to Jesus and pleading for His strength. If you go back to Exodus 20, the way we begin every commandment, God says... I am your Lord, I am your God, and I have saved you, so do not covet what belongs to your neighbor. What's the connection? What God is saying is, you have me, so you don't need everything else, right? You have all you need because you have me, and that's true even if it doesn't look like it. And let's be honest, it doesn't always look like it. It does not always look like we have all that we need. But the promises of Scripture, the promises of God again and again and again are, you have all you need if you have me. So don't covet. So the secret to being content is not to stop coveting because we can't. The secret to being content is desiring what your heart was made for all along. You have to satisfy your thirst with the only thing, with the only thing that will actually satisfy it, that won't leave you thirsty again, that won't leave you hungry again, and that's the Lord himself. And the only way we do that is we see that Jesus, who was perfectly content in heaven, gave up his contentment and suffered your shame and my shame and sacrificed his life so that we could have real contentment and lasting joy with him forever. That's how we begin to stop coveting. That's how we begin to learn contentment when we find ourselves in Jesus, when we trust in Jesus. Listen to some of these quotes From Jim Elliott, who, if you don't know that name, he was a missionary, actually killed on the field by the very people, by the very Indians he was seeking to reach. He wrote this in his journal uh, before he left. He said, I walked out to the hill just now. It is exalting, 
delicious. To stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree, with the wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart. To gaze and glory and to give oneself again to God. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him, if only I may love him and please him. Perhaps in mercy he will give me a host of children that I may lead through the vast star fields to explore his riches whose fingers' ends set them to burning. But if not, if only I may see him smell his garments and smile into my lover's eyes, oh, then not stars nor children will matter, only himself. C.S. Lewis, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are like ignorant children who want to keep on making mud pies in the slums because we don't understand what is meant by a holiday at the sea. We play in the mud because we don't get the beach. We're not, our desires aren't too strong, they're too weak. We long for the wrong things. And so we find ourselves dissatisfied. And Augustine may have said it best, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That's where the Tenth Commandment points us. The Tenth Commandment shows us that we are poor and sick beyond imagination. But that God himself has poured out his riches on us and has made us his own. So that's what the law does. The law exposes all of the deep, hidden recesses of our hearts with the blazing light of the sun. And that's what it's for. That's its purpose. And in its light, we have no excuse. We realize our sins run deep. But God's grace is greater than all our sin. So come out of the cave. There's no joy down there. There's no life down there. Only coveting and thieving and murdering and idolatry. Come out of the cave. Come to the Son, rest in Him, and be free. You'll begin to know what it means to be content. Let's pray. Indeed, O oh God, our hearts are restless. My heart is restless. My soul longs for something better. And yet, like Paul, I see it to be a law that I, I gather dust around me. And I am unsatisfied. 
Oh, Lord, help us to find our rest in you and be satisfied with all of your rich goodness. All of your rich goodness offered to us freely in Christ. Let's run to him. We ask it in his name. Amen.